Looking to the window of my mind Reflections of the fears I know I've left behind I step out of the ordinary I can feel my soul ascending I'm on Stop me now And you can do the same Yeah What have you done today To make you feel proud It's never too late to try Hi, I'm Barry Dorr and welcome to this Leadership Reflections podcast. We're going to do something different today. I'm going to start off what I hope will be a regular feature. Rather than me banging on every week about leadership, maybe it'll be good to hear some other voices. I work with some amazing people, people who really do demonstrate authentic leadership every day. What better then to grab the opportunity for a quick chat with them? So we're starting off with Alex Rogers, who works for the conservation charity Derbyshire Wildlife Trust. Hi, Alex. Hi, Barry. You're first in. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, it's really good of you to do it. It's Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you asking me. (laughs) Okay, tell us a little bit about... So you work for Derbyshire Wildlife Trust? I do. What's that about? What's that charity do? So, uh, Derbyshire Wildlife Trust uh, are part of the Wildlife Trust movement. So, there's actually 46 wildlife trusts across the UK, uh, and we all work in our local patch. So, I work for Derbyshire Wildlife Trust, um, and part of our vision, uh, we've got a 2030 vision. So, by 2030, we want to see 33% of Derbyshire managed for wildlife. We want people to be having one million wild connections each year. We want one in four people to act for wildlife. And as an organisation, we also want to be carbon positive, making a difference in that area as well. Some really positive stuff. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. And your role, you've got a great job title. Yeah. Um, well, I think you, you helped me um, in, in thinking about my role title, actually. But my, my title is Director of People and Culture. Director of People and Culture. It is, yes. What does that mean? So, I'm responsible for leading our people and culture strategy. Um, People being our employees, the people that work for Derbyshire Wildlife Trust, um, ensuring that they feel valued, enabled, can really achieve um, what they need to in their roles. And then there's cultural side, building a high-performance culture, presumably. Yeah, yes. Um, And we're a values-based organisation. We feel that it's important that um, as leaders we act with integrity and that uh, our staff do the same as well. So we have four values that um, uh, we all work towards and we hope that uh, we live our values. This culture word is so nebulous, isn't it? I mean, what, what are you trying to create at Derbyshire? What, what culture do you want that gives you the best chance of delivering all those amazing things you want to do? That's a really good question. I think that we want all of our staff, uh, no matter what area or level that they work in, to feel enabled to, to lead in those areas. They are the experts for their role and we want them to be able to thrive. Um, so I personally try and remove hierarchy as much as, as possible. Obviously it's it's required um, in some areas, but um, yeah, no matter what level um, that someone's working at, they should be able to make decisions um, and, and feel able to give their opinion and advice as well. So. 
um, that's something that's really important. So what you're not advocating is, is the kind of command and control, top-down culture. What you clearly want is what we talk about a lot, which is this idea of leadership being there to inspire and enable others. That's it. I, I think uh, if you reflect on your past experiences, when has that command and control ever motivated you, made you want to do more mm. for the organisation, uh, made you, you feel empowered? Usually it, it makes you sort of feel smaller and, and less able. Mm. So um, it's really important to me that people feel that they can ask, they can question, they can make decisions um, and that they're the best people to do so in most situations. Now, for it to work, it's really got to be bought into by managers, hasn't it? Because I, I think you want it to happen. Presumably your, your direction colleagues want it to happen. Um, I've no doubt people really want more responsibility, take more responsibility themselves and like to be inspired and enabled rather than command control. How do you, how do you bring your managers on board? Yeah, it's something that we've talked a lot about as a as a senior team, uh, and how you know integrity is really important in that area as well. It's uh, there's no point in saying that we want this and then our actions speaking differently mm. because our staff, our employees will see right through that. So it has to be something that the the senior team has decided is important, um, and that we will then you know lead by example in that area and really enable our staff to make those decisions um, and not kind of what's, you know micromanage them down in those situations if we said we're going to enable them we need them to feel enabled so we need our actions to to show that that's a crucial bit isn't it there's, there's absolutely no point in doing this stuff unless it's demonstrated from the top i think so and as i said before i think you know your your staff just see right through that then there's mm. no integrity to it and if you want um your staff to feel valued um to feel like the organization is is on authentic and does what it says it mm. will do uh then yeah we've got to show that you indicated how important values are um do you how do you use them do you use them in recruitment our values are used right throughout the organization from recruitment um in our interview process, to our one-to-ones, within our performance management. Um, so they're really interwoven throughout the organisation. So when you're recruiting, um, how do you, um, do you treat, how do you t check for values? How do you do it? It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? It is really tough um, because, of course, you want to ensure that your recruitment process is fair, objective and inclusive as well. So you don't want subjectivity creeping into that. Um, but we have a very clear framework um, where, as well as those technical skills that we're looking for, we're recruiting for that values fit as well. So um, we'll assess um, on uh, you know, our values, which are inspiring, visionary, effective, <laughs> and integrity. And you know, those are just as well if done. not more, in, yeah, thank you, just uh, as if not more important to, mm. to our recruitment processes, because I do believe, obviously in some cases, uh, this, it's not always true, but lots of technical skills, you can train and, and learn that, whereas, you know, our values are quite innate. There's really an increasing view of that, isn't there, that, um you recruit on behaviours primarily. The person's got to be able to do the job, but you can train that. What you can't train is what you can't change quite often is somebody's character. You need people who are going to come in and really embody those values and really live and breathe them. 
Yeah, I'm, I completely agree. And I think some of those soft skills, I was reading something just this morning about, um, I can't remember what gen it is now, is it Gen Z? And anyway, the sort of skills that we're looking to recruit, you know, in mm. innovation, communication, uh, some of those things are, are really important to us. Um, we can learn and develop and train some of the more technical skills. It's true, isn't it? It's always possible to do that. That's really commendable, those values, but how do you keep them alive in the organisation? That's a good question, um, and I think it's something, uh, as leaders, that you've got to be constantly thinking about. I think, you know, ask other people that we know who work in different organisations, what are your company's values? They'll often say, well, it's those words that are on that poster when you walk into reception. Um, you'll be lucky if they can maybe tell you what those values are. And I think often they're not sort of used through the employment life cycle either. Mm. It's something that's probably raised at induction mm. and then never seen again. Um, so it's really important for us um, that they are something that we're constantly thinking about and referencing mm. and using our behaviours to um, exhibit those values um, and also sort of calling out in a positive frame things that maybe don't align with our values mm. as well, um, having the confidence to speak mm. with our colleagues honestly about that to ensure that we're all working uh, within that same values framework um, and also ensuring that those values are embedded through our mm. performance management processes, our one-to-one -one processes, and that we're regularly speaking to our staff about mm. them and how they feel about it as well. I often talk to managers and um, they're fine if they have to um, have a difficult conversation with somebody about performance. They find it very difficult to do so on behaviours and values. Can it be done? I think it can. With the HR hat on? Yeah, yeah, no, it, well, it definitely can. Um, and it's definitely not easy because don't you know tell me who likes to have a difficult conversation I guess there's maybe a few people out there who thrive on it but most of us all the bills are <laughs> yeah but most of us don't really want to be in that that situation and, and we feel uncomfortable what I've really found is having those values and we have a behaviors framework that supports our values as well having that can actually make those difficult conversations so mm. much easier um, you can easily uh, vocalize and talk about where some of the issues might be mm. um, and it helps you as a manager to come back to that framework um, as something that the employee can relate to as well and understand so mm. I think yeah it's not it's not easy and you know managing behaviors can be really tough but I think it can be done in the in the right way Sounds like you've got a good few years ahead of you now with very exciting things to do there. Yeah, I'm really, really excited um, about the next 12 months and beyond. Um, we're, we're being very ambitious and we're just about um, to start thinking about our next five-year strategy, mm. um, which is, yeah, it's a really exciting time. And nothing could be more important than taking your people with you. Completely agree. And I'm looking forward to, to seeing where that journey takes us. So you're very, obviously you really enjoy the job. I do, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I love enabling others, or as much as I can, you know, mm. to, to thrive and really get the most out of their jobs. We're at work a lot of the time. 
Um, I think any organisation that can make the leap from command to control and really become one that inspires and enables gets the best out of their people, they will fly. And I, I really do think the command and control paradigm of leadership is on its dying on its feet now. It's just not suitable for the modern world. I completely agree. I think, you know, just look at the mm. evidence and research out there as well, mm. let alone the conversations that you might have had with people who've been in those command and control situations. Just don't do anything for motivation and, and uh, productivity. Thank you for sharing those thoughts today. I, I just think it's great. I mean, I go on about it, but to hear it from somebody who's actually in the middle of it and doing it, I think is really, really important. And thanks for being the first person. Thank you so much for having me, Barry. It's an absolute pleasure. Welcome back to my latest. Welcome, welcome back to welcome to my latest podcast. I'm Barry Dor, and this is from my leadership uh, reflections collection of podcasts. I am trying to make these podcasts as succinct and short as possible. I think 15 minute bites are quite good. Um, there are so many podcasts around at the moment, as you know. I'm sure you know because I'm sure you listen regularly to podcasts, and it's really difficult to find your place in that crowded market. So, I think short, snappy podcasts about anything to do with leadership. On a regular basis, every week if I can, is where I want to be. Um, I'd love to get some feedback. You can messenger me or email me at barry at barrydoor.com. Just tell me um, what you like about the podcast, what you don't like, what, what, you, what you want to hear, what it could be differently, anything you like. Anyway, enough of that. Today's podcast is called Get Out of the Echo Chamber. Get Out of the Echo Chamber. And it's to challenge anybody to say you cannot always spend all your time with people who agree with you. It's wonderful, though, isn't it, to be surrounded by people who agree with you. It can be comfortable, uh, means you're not being challenged over things. So many examples of this. I'm very guilty of it. My Facebook feed, for example, my friends all seem to agree, have my point of view. Also, seem to be fairly politically aligned with me, etc. So, when Brexit was on, I was um, in despair and uh, putting up posts about how we should be not leaving and uh, putting up posts in, in favour of Remain. Um, I got very little negative feedback. And I wonder why, and 
I guess it's because uh, my whole Facebook friends group basically agreed with me. I think there were two people who didn't. Um, and I couldn't believe it when we lost the votes because everybody I talked to agreed with me. There you go. I think it's uh, too, too often too, it happens. Um, we recruit too often in our own image. So you recruit for a new role and you're looking for somebody who's very, very similar, who um, is in your um, image, if you like. And we miss out so much if we do that. And at work, maybe people don't like being challenged, especially by more junior people. I think that's especially true people I come across in the uh, charity sector and in particular in the environmental sector. There you've got so many people who are committed to the cause. They are passionate about changing the course of global warming, about biodiversity, reversing biodiversity loss, etc. And they are surrounded by people who furiously agree with them. And time and time again, their conversations are based with people who furiously agree with them. And it's safe to do so, but it's t too much safety stifles progress. Because there are lots of people who don't agree or understand your messages. And if you want to do something, they're the people you've got to influence. They're the people you've got to change. There's so many examples of this where it, where it works. But um, the um, person who founded the uh, conservation charity that uh, I chair, which is the Osprey Leadership Foundation, was Tim McCrill. Um, and he uh, was responsible for um, doing the white-tailed eagles uh, relocation, bringing white-tailed eagles back into England after so long away, after so many centuries uh, where they were extinct in England, and reintroducing them on the south coast of England, and they found the Isle of Wight was an ideal place. Now, when they first broached the subject with people on the Isle of Wight, safe in the knowledge that other environmentalists thought it was a great idea, they met with much resistance from other people, can I say ordinary people. People were really worried about what was going to happen. And if they'd just left it at that, it's very unlikely that the, um, the uh, white-tailed eagles would have made a reintroduction to the Isle of Wight. But instead, Tim was willing to take the time to engage people, go to countless meetings, tell people what's happening, put them at rest, persuade them that this was something that was good. And those efforts paid off. The um, reintroduction was agreed, but if Tim had stayed in his echo chamber, that wouldn't have happened. The reason I wrote the, did the podcast today is... Um, that one of the people who is a evolving conservation leader within our Osprey Leadership Foundation um, posted something on our site the other day. I just thought, perfectly summed up getting out of the echo chamber. She said, this is Sarah, she said, I just want to share with you a recent experience. I was invited to a summit with people from the grouse shooting industry last week. As a real wilder, wilder and someone very unfamiliar with grouse shooting, I was apprehensive. I went anyway as I realised it was important to talk to others from across different sectors and industries. I even had second thoughts on the train journey up. But these people manage a lot of land, so are an important group to interact to act with and potentially influence. It's like walking into the enemy camp, she says. I'm so glad I went. I learned that they were just as scared of me as I was of them. Everyone in the room cared about nature conservation, even if they saw it in different ways. They were open to being challenged and are worried about losing their industry. I went to listen and learn a lot. I didn't walk in and tell them what to do, but we had a conversation about differing viewpoints. My take-home is the importance of listening to others, even if you disagree. It takes the conversation away from social media, and treating others with respect will pave the way for change. She, she concludes it's a baby step in conservation and may not lead anywhere, but for me it's given me great experience at developing my leadership skills. It shows that sometimes you have to step out of your comfort zone and the con conservation uh, echo chamber. I think that is so true. I think that is the ideal perfect example.
that I'm trying to get across today. It's just um, there are so many situations, um, not just in the environment sector, where it's vital to get out there and listen to people who disagree with you. Where appropriate, we need to seek to build longer-term relationships. You don't have to agree with somebody to respect them, to build a long-term relationship, and to look for mutual benefit. Um, truly effective relationships are built on just that, on mutual respect, and mutual benefit, and on trust. It's not possible every time, but it's always worth pursuing. And you know, delving into other traits, um, it's listening, which is the all-important thing. So get out there. Get out into, Don't stick in the echo chamber. Get out there. Back in workplaces, as I said before, how often do we recruit to our own image? It feels safe. We won't get challenged. But we need challenge. How can we improve, find new ways of doing things without it? Of course we want people to fit in, to behave in the right way. But we need challenge. Because without challenge, we can't broaden our thoughts. Maybe agree there would be a better way of doing something. Move things forward. But often the last thing we want in our teams at work are rebels. Or do we need them? In my new book, um, First Plug, which is um, coming out in July, and I'll tell you much more about that nearer the time, um, I define the difference between good and bad rebels. It's important to employ people who are going to challenge you, not always be yes people. We need rebels. But there's a world of difference between a good rebel and a bad rebel. Bad rebels, what do they do? They break rules, obsess about problems, lecture, alienate, point fingers and are me-focused. What good rebels do in your team, conversely, is to change rules, pursue opportunities, listen, attract pinpoint, attract pinpoint case causes and are mission focused. They're the ones we do want. There's actually a great graphic online which explores exactly what these good rebels want from their boss. It goes like this. We are not troublemakers. We're motivated to make our organisation better. Just over the page, sorry. We care about work more than anyone else. That's why we're willing to engage in conflict. We need an environment where it's safe to disagree and challenge the status quo. Love our differences and quirks. We may not be like you, but that's a good thing. Challenge us. Give us the thorniest problems. We want to be stretched. Let's prove our ideas work. But don't give us lip service. Tell us it's like it is. Coach us on how we can navigate organisational politics so we avoid making mistakes. Rebelliousness is a positive behaviour. It's an act of courage and risk-taking. Appreciate us and move mountains for you. I think that's really powerful. I just think it says, as an authentic leader, why would you not want a rebel or two like that in your team? That's the only way we're going to really shake things up. And if you get good rebels, rebels who do things for the best of intentions rather than the worst of intentions, they're the people you want. But also, you know, it works outside work as well. Bring some people into your life who have a differing view to you, maybe politically, but in any other way, have differing views of the world. Enjoy the challenge and debate with them. So if you want to be challenged to see things differently, if you've got to influence people who don't agree with you and achieve to achieve your vision, if you want to be stretched, not spend forever in your comfort zone, get out there, get out of the get out of the echo chamber. It's so important. That's about it for today, uh, the echo chamber, and I shall see you again soon. Thank you very much.